I don't know how much you've watched the news or really even how much it's been on the news, but I know on my social media feeds, the Asbury Revival has been pretty popular. I know it was covered at least on one national news segment. And if you haven't heard of it, what it is is a Methodist seminary in Kentucky called Asbury Seminary, where they started one chapel service a couple weeks ago. And someone stood up and gave a testimony, and there was a report that everyone there felt the Spirit. And since then, they have not stopped worshiping, and people have traveled all over the country, from all over the country, to go and see and experience this revival. There have been revivals in the past in America and in other places. There have been revivals even in biblical history. And on one hand... We certainly want to test the spirits, discern every spirit, as Paul says, and see if something like this is real or if it is just people being caught up in emotions. On the other hand, we also do recognize that the spirit does work in people's lives and that the word of God, when it is preached and when it is taught and when it is read, is powerful. And so, of course, my hope is that, especially the young students there, they are seemingly focused on the young students, 16 to 25-year-olds. The revival is dying down now, by the way. The city of Asbury has kind of asked it to die down because they don't have the infrastructure for such numbers of people. But they are having 16 to 25-year-olds specifically allowed still in the chapel there Today, as far as I know, I checked yesterday. My hope is that those young people and anyone who has gone there and heard the word of God, that it will change their life. Now, there is a way we can tell if this revival is a true revival. It is the mark of biblical revivals, truly. And that is if there is public repentance that is brought about. You can see this in Jonah, which we read earlier, which had a revival or a reformation. There's really not a difference between those two words, a revival or a reformation. And you probably know a lot about the Protestant Reformation with Martin Luther and all of that. But whether it was Luther or whether it was Jonah, the same types of things came about. There were sins that were going on publicly, false beliefs and false doctrines. And those changed. Whole groups of people repented. In Nineveh, people repented of their paganism. They put ashes on their heads, much like we have done tonight. And they changed their way of living. For Luther, it was many, many Christians denouncing the heirs of the medieval Roman Catholic Church. Revival, Reformation. I hope similar things happen in Kentucky. I hope similar things happen here. There is no doubt that we have a need for revival. The church always has a need for reformation. If you look at the things in the world going on around you, if you watch the news and you see not just news about the Asbury Revival, but news about all sorts of other 
sometimes even horrendous things, sometimes confusing things, sometimes hopeful, but normally not hopeful things. There is no doubt that we need revival. And if you look down into your hearts and into your lives, you can probably say the same thing about yourselves, that there are things that could change in your life, things that you need to repent of. And that's really why we're here tonight, to put ashes on ourselves, to look into our hearts, and to come to our Lord in repentance, to be penitent. And so how does a revival start? How does a reformation start? I think it starts this way. Lord, start with me, we can pray. Lord, start with me. It is true that as I look out at all of you, there is kind of a sea of black crosses, and that is wonderful that we as a whole congregation can do this together, but it is also true that each of you are individuals. Lord, start with me. Start with my forehead. Start with my cross. And so as we start this Lenten season, it is a season of repentance, also, therefore, a season of revival, a season of reformation of the heart. And when we have that kind of season of revival or season of reformation, Jesus gives us some very practical advice tonight from Matthew 6. He talks about three different ways you can have revival in your hearts. Revival as individuals. In fact, the very thing that he warns against when it comes to repentance when it comes to a revival, is that we would not be so quick to make it so public. That we would not be so quick to make it about everyone else around us and forget that it says, Lord, start with me. And so he goes through three different practices, three different ways in which you can live out your repentance Three different ways in which you can live out not just your repentance, but also your life in Christ, your justification in him and your sanctification in him. Three different ways to live in Christ. When it's starting with me, the first is almsgiving. He says when you give to the needy. And so when we come to our Lord in repentance, this should cause us to think about a number of things, namely all the ways in which we have failed to love our neighbors. If you think about the whole second table of the law, father, mother, murder, adultery, stealing, false testimony, and coveting, there are numerous ways, looking in our hearts, looking in my heart, in which we have failed to love our neighbors. And so in our confessions, in our confession of sin, in prayer to the pastor, in the divine service, we should confess these failures. Confess the ways in which we have failed to love those whom God has put before us. But as we confess 
And as we receive forgiveness and we repent, truly repent, if you remember the Sunday school lesson, the word repentance literally means to turn around, to change your way of living. As we repent of those failures to love our neighbor and we change, we can take up this practice, almsgiving, giving to the needy. It is a good practice because it gets us outside of ourself. And we are blessed in this congregation to have so many ways that we can give to the needy, that we can give alms. We have a literal alms fund. We have an elders fund. We have a food pantry. We have church projects that always need a little help here and there with various all kinds of funds. And you can just find people who you know that God has put in your life who need a little something, a place to sleep, a little money to buy gas, whatever it may be. There is no want of these things in this time. And with these things, I want to echo Jesus here, who gets very practical with his advice when he talks about these things. With each of the things, the practices, the Lenten disciplines he talks about, he gives very practical advice. With this one, he says, don't let your left hand see what your right hand is doing. Because this is about getting outside of yourself. And it's not about being public. It's not about making a show about who gave the biggest donation. But it's about just simply loving your neighbor. And so let's get very practical like Jesus gets practical here. And if you want some advice on almsgiving, keep in mind this is just advice. This is not the law. Then if we want to take the ancient Christian practice of almsgiving as it has been taught, as I was taught it. If you have a 10% tithe, then during Lent, if you want to give alms, 2% of your income is a good number to start with. Now again, that's just an idea, just some practical advice, but I think Jesus likes to be practical about these things, and so there it is. The next thing he talks about is prayer. And so we talked about the second table of the law and our failures to love our neighbor. Prayer reminds us of the first table of the law and our failures to love God. With idols, his name being glorified or taken in vain. And the Sabbath day focused on loving his word. We have failed to love God certainly at some point, on some level, in these ways. And so in our confessions, we confess these sins too. Now, like almsgiving, we are also blessed to have so many ways in which we can love God. So many ways in which we can partake in this prayer. Prayer is a great way to do that turning around, repenting of our sins of failing to love God, turning around and doing something now to love God. All sorts of prayer is a great way to do this because like almsgiving, it also gets us outside of ourself, outside of our own sinful hearts, which are tempted to not love God, and focus us back toward 
God himself, the one who made us, the one who redeemed us, and the one who sanctified us. And like almsgiving, we are also so blessed to have so many ways to pray. You can take home the bulletin with you on Sundays and use the at-home prayer. You can grab a hymnal if you need one. I can get you one and use that in your prayers. You can use your Bible at home and follow a multitude of Bible reading plans. Look at the messengers. I've written about this. You have different reading plans you can follow. Again, we're getting practical here. So many resources and ways to come and to pray. And let's not forget the very basics of Sunday morning and during this time of year, even Wednesday nights too. And so again, let's get practical. Jesus gets practical here. He says, when you pray, don't make it all about other people. It's to get out of your own head. It's not about you. It's not about them. It's about God. Go close the door. Close the door behind you and pray. It's not about posting pictures of it on Instagram. Sometimes I see that. It's about God. And so again, let's get practical here. I'll add a little bit to Jesus' advice, if I would dare so to do. Whatever you're doing for your devotions, whatever you're doing for prayer, my advice is this. During Lent, if you want to take up this discipline, just add something. Even if it's just one prayer, even if it's just one psalm, even if it's just a hymn, if it's the recitation of the Ten Commandments, Whatever you normally do already, just add a little something to it for Lent. You will be blessed. Now let's finally move on to fasting here. The last discipline Jesus assumes that Christians will do, really. He doesn't say do it or don't do it. He just says when you do it, when you fast. And fasting, that gets us to repent of things both in the first and second table of the law, but really all about our own pride, the thing which drives all our sin. Because fasting is the thing that when we do it, what we are admitting to ourselves is that we cannot live by the bread that we provide. We cannot live by sustaining ourselves. We can only live by the words that come from the mouth of God. When we fast, what we're doing is we're practicing saying no to temptations. We're practicing saying no to the temptations which the devil puts in front of us so that we can live our lives wholly to the glory of God. And so let's get practical with this one too. My first advice about fasting is that it is about food. Now, you can fast from things like Facebook or you can fast from whatever people give up nowadays for Lent. It kind of became a popular notion to just give something up for Lent, even if someone's not even a Christian, they just give something up for Lent nowadays. But when the Bible talks about fasting, I do think it is particularly about limiting the food that you eat. And the reason that is, is because to limit something so physical, something that we need so much, 
something that we have to struggle with if you think about really every day, what am I going to eat today? How am I going to nourish my body today? Something so basic in our lives. It's like I mentioned, when we train ourselves to be able to say no to just feasting on food, what we're doing is we're training ourselves against temptation. That whenever something difficult comes along that we're tempted to fall into, then we have that practice of saying, nope, I'm okay. I don't live by bread alone, but I live by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And so practically, there are some ways that you can do this. Again, there is kind of an ancient Christian tradition that has been passed on. And that is to simply have lighter meals during Lent. And I can give more details about this later if you want. But the idea is that you are not feasting like you would at Easter or like you would at Christmas or like you would at Thanksgiving dinner or like you would at the chili cook-off. You are not feasting. You're fasting. So you have some lighter meals. Maybe you skip a meal now and then. But the meals you do have, they are not rich. They are not really fatty or really, really sugary. They are lighter meals like salads and soups, things like that. That's why we have soup and salad suppers during Lent. So that's my practical advice for fasting. I won't go into too many details because, again, it's not a law. Just some practical advice, sticking with Jesus, practical advice for these things. And finally, I want to leave you with this. So those are some three ways to have revival in your hearts, repentance in your hearts this Lent. But remember this, when you go home and you look in the mirror and you see the ashes on your forehead and you are judging how good of a cross I was able to make and how much it's already rubbed off, I want you to remember that repentance has two parts. First, that we confess our sins, as we already talked about. But second, that we receive forgiveness. Part of our repentance, part of our revival, is receiving Christ's absolution. You heard it over and over again in the liturgy already. God does not will that the sinner would die, but that he would turn and live. And so when you turn, he wants you to live. And so as much as ashes are ashes, and it reminds you that to dust you shall return, meaning you will die and face judgment one day, the ashes tonight are in the shape of a cross. To remind you that at your baptism you were marked with a cross on your forehead. And they smell like they smell because they have been mixed with frankincense and myrrh. That is to remind you That those ashes are now Christ's life. You are in Christ. You are hidden in him. You are hidden under his cross. You are hidden in his wounds, Paul says. Jesus was born for you, anointed also with spices. And he died for you, anointed also with spices. And you are baptized into him. You are ashes. But Christ has raised you from the dead. And so your life is a life in him and your life is a life of revival 
And this Lent, you live in him. To him be all the honor and glory now and forever. Amen.